Women's World Cup is underway, and we have the U.S. Women's Team co-captain on later in the episode. It's Thursday, July 20th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. With women's soccer surging in popularity, this World Cup is a huge moment for FIFA as it seeks to grow the game. Joining me now to discuss is front office sports writer Doug Greenberg. Welcome, Doug. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Owen. We are uh, really starting to get into World Cup mode here. Um, really, really exciting. Uh, I actually just got done writing a piece about the uh, Women's World Cup ball. Talked to some people at Adidas about that, which for me, as like someone who played soccer in high school, was you know, a total geek moment for me, <laughs> getting to learn the behind the scenes about how the ball gets made and the marketing and the design of it. So it was really cool. Take a look out for that article. Um, a lot of fun for me personally to write. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what are FIFA's expectations for this tournament from a business standpoint? I mean, it's so hyped, but yeah, you know, what what's actually going to happen on the bottom line? Yeah, so... It, it came out, uh, you know, within this week that uh, basically the tournament is, Infantino said that basically the tournament is expected to break even um, in terms of the cost versus how much they're actually going to bring in with revenue, which on the surface doesn't sound amazing, but it also speaks to, you know, how much um, investment they're putting into this thing. You know, the budget for this tournament was $500 million. They're expecting to make about $500 million. Um, you know, I, I talked to somebody at FIFA who basically called it an unprecedented level of investment that they're making in the sport. And, you know, FIFA doesn't always get everything right, but to their credit, they, they've really been trying to, to ramp up, um, the coverage in women's soccer and the investment in the sport. Um, so, you know, while that break even point doesn't sound incredible, um, I think that just speaks to more so how much investment they're putting into this thing and less so about, you know, the the amount of revenue that's going to be generated, you know, with it being in Australia and World Cup, it's to be perfectly honest, it's it's not an extremely accessible part of the world. Um, it's a supposedly a great part of the world, but it's not super accessible to, uh, you know, the Western world for for sure. So speaking of that revenue, FIFA tried to strong arm European broadcasters into into you know paying more for this. And I think they did get more than they were originally offered, but not quite what they are looking at. So what's the situation there? Yeah, so it was mostly with the European countries, um, especially, you know, the big ones, England, Germany, France, Italy, Spain. Um, they essentially were playing hardball with FIFA. Um, Infantino, I believe at one point said that some of the offers that they were making were insultingly low uh, for the Women's World Cup. And, and sort of where this all came from, too, is that this is actually the first uh, media cycle where FIFA is offering the rights to the Women's World Cup on its own. Um, it used to just be a freebie thrown in with the with the men's rights package. Um, but again, as part of their sort of investment in the sport, is part of the way they're trying to change things, the way things are done, um, they are offering the media rights on their own um, to these countries. And, you know, I think the countries in the first year of this and, and with the time difference, as we mentioned, with Australia and New Zealand, which is not ideal for Western countries. Um, I think that the media rights negotiations ended up being a little bit tough. Um, 
you know, they, I think they were expecting to get 300 million from media rights deals. They ended up getting around 200 million in total. So they fell a little bit short of that. You know, FIFA could have maybe done a little bit more. I don't think it was completely their fault. Um, You know, the European countries could have, you know, put in more effort. Um, It'll definitely be interesting to see, though, when the U.S. media rights deals come up, um, you know, with Fox as the current media rights holder. uh, And they negotiated this deal for the Women's World Cup when it was still being offered as a freebie with the men's world cup. So when the, when Fox's deal is up, that's going to be really, really interesting uh, to see how much a U.S. broadcaster will throw at the women's world cup where it's, it's really, really popular here, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. And I think these, these rights standoffs, any negotiation standoff usually happens when it's unclear how much we should value the the property. And yeah, it's in Australia and New Zealand. So how much are people in the U S going to, you know, stay up or wake up early for that? And yeah, it's the first time Women's World Cup's being sold separately, and everyone knows that women's soccer is growing very quickly, but how big is it right now? You know, not necessarily easy to say. The other, another big investment that FIFA's making is in prize money, which jumped a lot for the Women's World Cup from the last time, still nowhere close to the men's. So um, how big are those figures, and, and uh, what do we know about FIFA's ambitions there? Yeah, this is it gets really interesting when you talk about prize money. Um, you know, they are they're really they're really trying to 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 elevate the game in terms of prize money and make it more equal. Um, you know, the the prize money that they're giving out this time is 110 million. That is up from 30 million that they gave out at the last World Cup, so it's over three times what they did last time. Um, that said, it's still, you know, only a quarter of the men's prize pool, which is a 440 million. So, you know, good progress, still a long ways to go. And the interesting part about that is that FIFA's goal, uh, you know, Yanni Infantino came out and said that the goal is for the next World Cup cycle to have completely equal pay in terms of prize money. So for the 2026-2027 World Cup, they want the prize money to be completely equal across the two tournaments which I got to say is super, super ambitious. Um, I, I When I was talking to a FIFA rep about that, I had to like kind of double take for a second and be like, wait, are you sure? And he's like, yeah, that's what we said. So I was like, okay. And so, you know, it's a great ideal. Um, it'll be really cool if they can get there. It, again, it, a lot of it will depend on the media rights. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure when the U.S.'s media rights uh, negotiations are coming up, but I'm assuming FIFA is going to try and squeeze a lot of money out of them, um, you know, keep working with other countries like Brazil where soccer's where soccer's really big. So um, it, it's, it's definitely ambitious, but a really cool goal uh, if they can get there. Yeah. Yeah. So it'll be fascinating to see how close they can get to that in three years. Equal is a big bridge to cross, but I guess we'll find out. Uh, last thing before we go, give me a finals pick. Got to be the United States, right? They're going for the three Pete, which is, is unprecedented. Um, nobody's ever won more than two in a row. Um, so this would be really, really cool if they could take it home. I think this era of us soccer of us women's soccer has been, has been incredible. Um, you know, uh, Megan Rapinoe is going to be playing her last world cup. Alex Morgan still kind of at the tail end of her prime. Um, and you got a lot of really exciting young players like Trinity Rodman, um, you know, uh, uh Alyssa Thompson making the team at 
18 years old or whatever. Um, going to be really, really exciting. I'm, I'm super excited to see how it goes down, but I, I can't, I can't bet against the U.S. They're, they're too, they're very good, and you know, history might not be on their side, but I believe in them. All right, Doug Greenberg, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Owen. Appreciate it. Up next, we have U.S. Women's National Team midfielder Lindsey Horan. Horan was the first American woman to sign a professional contract straight out of high school. Now she is co-captain of the national team as they go for an unprecedented World Cup three-peat. That conversation is coming up next. All right, very excited to be joined by Lindsay Horan, midfielder for Olympic Lyon and uh, for the USWNT. Welcome, Lindsay. Thank you very much. So we're a few days away from the start of the the World Cup, your second. Uh, How is your mindset different going into this tournament from four years ago? Um, I mean, well, same, same mindset. So I want to go out and, uh, win the, win the world cup, but I have a little bit of a different role now. Um, more of a, a leader on the team and, and actually co-captain with, um, with Alex. And that's super exciting, um, for me just because I have more of a responsibility now and it's not just, you know, not that before it was just about me, but I was able to focus more on, myself and how I was going to give my best for the team. But now I want to be able to, you know, be there for all these new younger players and, and be responsible to, you know, for helping them and, and, and helping them throughout this tournament and, you know, holding the standard and, and keeping the level high and, and everything that goes along with it. So super cool, exciting for me. And do you also have to carve out space for yourself and all that to actually play the game at the highest level? Yeah, of course. There's always there's always time um, here and there, and I think us professionals have been able to to deal with that a little bit better. But I think now it's going to be navigating that and and being able to you know do everything that I need to do you know for myself, but also for my team. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, very cool. Is it what's just kind of the your your mental emotional world like going into a World Cup? I mean, you know, obviously, it only happens every four years. There's nothing else quite like it. Um, does it just feel different as it, as you see it approaching on the horizon? Um, for me right now, no. I think, um, you know, we've been doing everything we possibly can over this last four years to, you know, get ourselves ready for this point. And there's comfort in that because you, you rely back on your training, you rely on your preparation and everything that you've done. Um, looking forward to this. I think once we, you know, step foot on on the ground in uh, New Zealand, I think it will become more real. I think right now it's it's exciting just because, you know, we're all finally together. Um, obviously, NWSL players have been in season playing games, and so it's been a little bit of a deload for them. But now, like, finally in sessions together this past week and, and moving forward and, and getting a send-off game, that becomes more real. But I think it will all hit um, once we finally get to New Zealand. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, looking back, you know, at the start of your career, you were the first American woman to sign a professional contract straight out of high school in 2012. How have you seen that market for American female players mature since then? It's exciting. There's there's so many young, um, you know, Americans that have now gone professional or skipped college all together or gone a few years and then gone and played pro and um it's a route now. And I think that was, you know, one of the biggest things for me, obviously I did what I thought was best for myself and that's the route that I chose and it hadn't been done before. And that was scary and exciting and a sacrifice. And, um, but now, you know, looking back, I, 
I did pave the way for some of these young players to know that that's an option. Um, and that's a really cool thing to feel inside because, um, it, it was just not a thing, um, for young female, um, female American players. And so now I see, you know, 13, 14, 15 year olds in the, in the league. That's exciting. And I think that helps our youth development. You get some of these young players playing with the the best players in the world, playing at a professional level, training with these, these women every single day. Um, that's an opportunity that you can't pass up. Um, but obviously, um, you know, I'm, I'm pumped. It's, it's exciting for me to see. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. And so you're at Fion now. Was it Paris Saint-Germain where you started? <laughs> Did you speak French at the time? No. <laughs> Zero. Um, what was that like? And do you have any, you know, moments you look back on from that time of, you know, being a stranger in a strange land, not speaking the language, um, where, you know, it's, it can be hard being a traveler, not, not, you know, being able to communicate a lot of the time. Are there any moments that kind of are emblematic of that for you? No, every single day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, this might be repetitive just because I've, um, it's been spoken about so many times before, but yeah, it wasn't, uh, the lifestyle that I knew. It wasn't the culture, culture I knew and going over at a young age is, uh, you know, 18 playing, uh, in Europe. It's difficult. Um, you don't know anything. I, I didn't have my family over there. I didn't know any French. Um, I didn't lived, you know, in a different location. I haven't gone through the college stuff, so it was very difficult. Um, it took me a while to, not a while, I mean, three months, three or four months where I felt like I was actually immersed. Uh, and, you know, coming out of your shell in that, that kind of uh, environment as well, when I'm like a shy, young female player, um, you know, my... My character kind of came out when I was playing. It, it was hard um, for me off the field. So, yeah, it was it was difficult. But everything that I did back then, you know, has led me to to be me today. So, it was overall an, an incredible experience, a very difficult one, but one that I would not take back or take for granted. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where I mean, hopefully now there's more support structures. There's people like yourself who have have traveled that road before. Um, but it's hard to do anything other than a trial by fire in that kind of situation. And you said, you know, three months doesn't seem like a long time now, but I'm sure those were a long three months. Um, on the men's side, you know, I think it's it's still pretty clear that things are growing in the sport in the U.S., but the money's all in Europe right now. Is that how it still feels with the women's as well? Um, no, I think you see more and more teams investing over here um, in America, I think. Uh, you see numbers get thrown out. You get to see, uh, you know, trades happening, transfers happening, et cetera, et cetera. I think obviously because I'm in Europe, I see more and more, um, you know, transfer fees or, you know, what I just went through with, with Portland and, and Lyon and a lot of money is involved. And I, I think that's just, you see the investment growing in, in women's sports and, um, especially in soccer. And I think the NWSL is getting, getting better and better, but it's not good enough. Um, because I think a lot of teams cannot do, you know, what certain teams can, um, in terms of money. And then obviously in terms of the, the salary cap, I, I think that it obviously should change if you want to get some of the best players in the world to come come play in our league. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that makes a, a ton of sense. Um, what's it like just being, I mean, it's strange enough to, you know, be in it, uh, you know, say a baseball player in the U S where you could be traded at any moment, but that you're, at least you're being traded within the same country. Whereas, you know, for, for soccer players, you know, you, you could play in Germany next year. You could come to the U S you can, you know, play in the UK. 
Um, does that add sort of an added dimension of strangeness to, or, you know, potential openness to your, how you think of your future? I'm locked down with a contract with Leon right now, but um, obviously, obviously always open. I think when my loan was coming to an end and I was uh, voicing that I wanted to stay in Europe, I was pretty open with, you know, I could go anywhere. Um, I obviously want to be challenged and I want to be in the right place for me, but I was very open to England. I was very open to um, staying in Lyon and, and just exploring my, my options. And I think that's great that now there's so many leagues in the world that are, you know, exciting and developing an investment. Um, you know, the clubs are actually, you know, putting in time and money into to these clubs. You see what F, FC Barcelona is doing as well. And, um, you know, it's it's exciting so i think that's great for you know female soccer players in general because you have this interest from all over the world um and you actually get to choose and it's not just uh you know everything's up for gra- uh everything's up in the air like you don't know where you're gonna be and or you could be traded in any given second um obviously we're getting better and better at that with the, the nwsl but um being in Europe is is really nice because you're locked in and in, in this contract and you kind of say where where you're going. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the U.S. men's and women's national teams have this arrangement. I don't know if there's any precedent for it where you split your winnings. Um, how does that feel as a player? Oh, it's awesome. Um, obviously, you know we're grateful that the men wanted to be on the same page as us. <laughs> first off, and you know they. You know, it's it's kind of like they're they're rooting for us as as well, and that's what you know we've always wanted. This this was you know this is a one team, this is a family, this is you know what we want in equality for the men and women um, in U.S. soccer, and I think they felt the same way as us. So, you know, they they did very well in the their last World Cup, and obviously, I'm sure they wanted more. But you know how they played, how they did. Um, as such a young team as well was incredible. And I think we were very uh, supportive and, you know, absolutely rooting for them every single game. And to know that, you know, us doing that for them and them doing that for us in this world cup is just, you know, a, a fight together for, you know, what we deserve. I think it's a really cool thing and a very special thing. And there, there's no other um, federation doing that in, in the world. So very special um, at U.S. soccer with us. Yeah, absolutely. Other than winning the World Cup four years ago, what was a favorite moment from the 2019 World Cup tournament? Favorite moment? Uh, there's many of them. Um, I was talking about my uh, the semifinal win uh, against England. I I felt like I played a huge role in, in helping our team win with my assist to Alex, and that was a really cool moment for me just because, you know, that game put us into the World Cup final, uh, so that was a that was a cool moment. But you know, there's so many things um, along the ride in the 2019 World Cup. I think no one truly understands what it's like to be in a major tournament like that. So you know, the 23 players that were there and every single thing that we did, the journey, the the training sessions, the preparation, all the meetings, like it was strenuous. It was a lot, and it's not all just exciting playing games, happiness, you know. It's uh, you got to put in the work every single day to to pre- prepare for these matches. So, I think the the journey along the ride was just everything. Um, and looking back, you know, when you finally lift that trophy, it's like, you know, we knew that this was 
this was possible because of all of our preparation, because of all the work, because of the last four years of of everything that we put into to winning this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So you've been partnered with Adidas for a little while now. What has that partnership meant to you as an athlete? It's been it's been very special. I think, um, you know, Adidas is my, you know, first first ever sponsorship, um, first ever brand wanting me. And uh, I have not, you know, went away from that. I've been with Adidas for all the years I've been playing professional soccer. So since, what what was that, 2012. (laughs) So this is my longest sponsorship deal and a truly special one because, you know, they came in when I first went uh, went overseas and probably didn't know, you know, what was that going to turn out for me and and how was – uh, how was this young female, eighteen-year-old, going to to be? Was she going to make it? Was she was she going to make it to the national team? You know, things like this. And I think Adidas has obviously come a long way with the amount of athletes that we have, and especially in the national team. Um, but they invested in me, so I think it's been a truly special relationship for me, and and everything that they've done for me and, and helped me with. So I'm very very grateful for that. And they're obviously family to me. All right. Very cool. Well, good luck in the World Cup. Lindsay Horan, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Yeah, of course. Thank you. That's it for today. Drop us a rating or review or tell a friend about the show or say hello on Twitter at FOS underscore today. Thanks for listening. We will see you tomorrow.